So I think I'll talk a little bit about recollection of the Buddha as a practice. And then I want to hear how you're doing and what you think of all this. Of course, this is in a very old and popular way of practicing and bringing joy to the mind. There are whole traditions uh, in Hinduism and yoga that focus on this kind of recollection that brings great joy, this kind of bhakti, devotional practice. And much of the chanting that we do in the monastery morning and evening is devotional. It's about the the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the enlightened Sangha. And uh, this is felt to be something that is used for protection as well as for bringing up joy. And in the suttas we also see that the factors of stream entry are fundamentally the complete faith in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the enlightenment of, of those beings that came after and these qualities that the Buddha had and, um, and also the Dhamma and the Sangha are ones that we come to really embrace, to understand, to trust as we practice and we learn more about the Dhamma. So putting full faith in the Buddha and his qualities is part of what happens as we develop and particularly that um, kind of turning point in our in our practice and in our lives when there is um, true entering of the stream. And we can talk more about that sometime if you're interested. But at the moment, I want to look at the, the qualities of the Buddha. And one of the things that I find so inspiring is that the Buddha was a human being. And in the suttas, you can really get a sense of his humanity, of his experience of life and you know you can you can see his life progress and his aging happening and you know he's suffering from back aches and headaches and sick with dysentery and different things and at the same time you also see the the tathagata as he referred to himself this fully awake fully enlightened being and it's really quite inspiring. It's like when he was asked, because he was so radiant um, after his enlightenment, someone saw him and said, what are you? Are you a god? And he said, no, <laughs> I'm not a god. I'm, I'm awake. And the, the beauty of this is that we also have this potential. This is, this is innate in us, this potential to awaken and therefore be free from every aspect of dukkha, every aspect of comfort, discomfort, of suffering. And of course it's not that we can bypass physical suffering because as long as we have a body, 
we're subject to pain and illness and aging and so on, but that the mind doesn't have to suffer. It can be completely freed from suffering. And so the the words that are used, like Bhagava, Arahang, Sama, Sambuddho, that the Buddha was this blessed one, Bhagava, Bhagavato, the blessed one. And the blessed one radiates blessings and, um, and compassion. And you can really see the, the compassion in his life, that he spent the rest of his life teaching and wandering around barefoot in India teaching the Dhamma and and really willing to engage with anyone who was interested, sincerely interested, and and help them. And there are so many teachings where you can just see how incredibly compassionate he was as people were struggling to figure it out. And it's it's such a beautiful thing to take in. And then the fact that he's an arahant, so we all in in the Theravada tradition, in the early Buddhist traditions, we talk about arahant, arahantship. And the awakening, the Buddha said that the awakening for everyone is the same. It's like if you're an arahant, you've got the same awakening. But not every arahant is a Buddha. Every Buddha is an arahant, but not every arahant is a Buddha. And there is a breadth and a depth to his abilities and his understanding and his qualities that he brought to perfection. goes beyond what um, most people who completely realize the Dhamma and Nibbana uh, will experience. But it's for that purpose of being able to lead and teach and help. And the Buddha, you know, the the this the arahantship, what that what it means to be an arahant is really to be free of greed, hatred, and delusion, be free of all defilements, which means they would never act out of selfish desire. They would never act out of any kind of ill will or or delusion. So this is a being that can be really trusted. And so the Buddha was was he he referred to himself as the best friend. <laughs> the best kind of friend. You could really trust him. He was fully reliable. So he's an arahant, and then the sama sambuddho is this, like sama, like in the Noble Eightfold Path, you have all these qualities are sama ditti, sama sankapo, sama vachayo, and all that. It's like, um, that's how they translate right, right, view, right, intention, etc. And sama can be right or perfect 
perfect sounds too idealistic. But in the case of the Buddha, this is like, this is the height, the, the fullness of the Buddhahood. And enlightenment is something that a Buddha discovers without support, without an, uh, being told by someone else. Where for us, when, when, not if, when we reach arahantship, um, then it's something we were able to rely on, the teachings that were already made clear, which is super helpful. So this coming to it without knowing, you can imagine he, he leaves his family and the wealth and stability and safety of his home, and he goes out to find this without knowing whether or not he can do it, without knowing whether or not really what, what is there. And then uh, vicharana, sampano, it's like this is um, impeccable knowledge, vija, the knowing it all really. And the charana is actually walking. You see, he walks through the world in a way that's light, in a way that's with beautiful conduct, without, without harming, impeccable in his virtue. Sugato, the accomplished one, the well-gone one. And loka we do, this idea that he's it means Loka's world, he knows the worlds, he knows the realms, he knows the minds of other people. If he turns his attention, it's like you'll see all these, these, all these references in the suttas where the Buddha is aware of what's going on with someone else, like a bhikkhuni who's really on the verge of enlightenment and he appears sometimes in person, sometimes as an image, to give her just the teaching she needs. This happens again and again uh, with people. Or he's going to give a Dhamma talk and he knows someone is coming who's on the verge of awakening and they're not there yet, so he just waits and waits till that one guy shows up so that he can help him break through. This kind of knowing and I can understand if it's not so easy to like know for yourself that this is all true, but then I would recommend visiting our hunts and getting a sense of what they do because that's a that's an ability that still is accessible and people uh, have developed but not to the degree that the Buddha did. The, the vastness and the depth of his knowledge, of his experience was, was incredible. The fact that he, on the night of his enlightenment, could see his own past lives back through eons. And then he could, that was the first knowledge, and then he could See, then he saw the rising, the, the births and deaths of 
countless living beings, human beings, to see how they behaved and then how they would get, they would pass away and get reborn in conditions that were the result of their previous actions, to actually see that unfolding before him, to be able to know absolutely clearly about kama and how it works. So not something we can have full access to, but we certainly can also get that, that sense sometimes. Especially for people who remember past lives, oftentimes they can see, they can understand what the Buddha is saying about this and what he knew. I mean, a glimpse, a little glimpse of what he knew. This phrase, anuttaro purisadamasarati, anuttaro means without a superior, the highest. And purisadama is, um, it's, it's like a charioteer, someone who trains horses and he trains, he'll train those who wish to be trained. The translation we usually use is he trains perfectly those who wish to be trained, and that's the sense of it. And sata, the teacher, sata is a word that's used throughout the suttas. When they say that, it's teacher with a capital T, it's the Buddha, teacher of devas, heavenly beings, and human beings. And again, we see. Uh, many discourses that involve the teaching of devas. In fact, the whole first book of the Connected Discourses is about the devas. And they come to the Buddha to ask for teaching. Or they come to the Buddha to tell him about things that are happening also. It's interesting. And uh, there are also many instances in the early Buddhist texts, the suttas, about the Buddha going to other realms to teach in the heaven realms. Of course, this is all psychic, uh, maybe bodily also, but the Buddha, because he had these amazing psychic powers, not a requirement, by the way, for awakening, but it's helpful if you're uh, going to try to lead thousands of people to awakening. And Bhutto, Bhutto Bhagava. Bhutto is a form of the word Buddha, and it's commonly used, especially in Thailand and maybe other places in Southeast Asia, as a mantra. So you do walking meditation and think Bhutto, Bhutto, Bhutto in your mind, and it really means awake, that awakened mind. And so he was awake, and again, Bhagava, holy. As you can probably tell, I find this very inspiring when I reflect on the Buddha and his qualities and what he did. And I've told this story sometimes. I was in Bodhgaya, and my son was still a monk at that time, and he was. I was there with him and uh, some other monks and. Uh, a laywoman. And my son saw this old monk kind of uh, 
a ways away, and, and he said, I'll come, you have to come, and we have to go see this monk, he's wonderful. And so we kind of hurried over to him. And what an amazing energy. He was such a lovely monk. And he said he comes to Bodh Gaya a lot, and he loves Bodh Gaya. He loves the, this is the place where the Buddha got enlightened. He said a human being becoming enlightened here. You know, it was like such, so touching that, you know, this is a, a human being just like us, you know. Discovering the Dhamma, fully awakening, right there, under the Bodhi tree. It was really just powerfully uplifting. And I really uh, want to encourage you, uh, if you have an inclination towards this practice, and as I said earlier with regard to the um, instructions on mindfulness of in and out breathing, in particular, there's that one instruction about gladdening the mind. Sometimes it's hard to know how to do that. So this is one, one possibility. And also just the importance, seeing the importance in the suttas, seeing the importance in our experience of keeping the mind happy, turning the mind to what's beautiful and uplifting. And it might be different things for you at different times. And it might be that certain topics, like maybe the qualities of the Buddha, aren't really it for you at this point. Or maybe it is, but sometimes things can be really potent for us, and then at some point we, we move on to something else and use something else for a while, or sometimes something doesn't seem that interesting, but then at some point that's what really um, clicks for us. So even however you relate to this idea of the recollection of the Buddha, I did you know, recommend kind of keeping it in the back of your mind and maybe trying it a bit here and there and seeing what that might be like for you. I think that's the end of my comments. <laughs> so I'd like to hear what you have to say too.